Hi, this is Sarah from Oklahoma. Dusted is a StoryWonk podcast. To show your support and for exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash StoryWonk. Thanks! everyone and welcome to the show i'm alistair stevens and i'm lonnie diane rich and this is dusted you're gonna watch that lee ride out of our hair buffy the vampire slayer podcast <laughs> the remains of lee mercer they'll wash out of your hair but not out of the carpet no we no, learn no. in this week's episode of angel <laughs> blind date the 21st episode of the first season and our last chance to make a firm statement about who and what angel is before we get to our season finale mm-hmm. next week I have to say, I wasn't thinking much about Blind Date as we moved through the season of Angel. I wasn't really looking forward to it, wasn't really dreading it either. I hadn't really given it more than one or two moments of thought in the entire season. I really like this episode. It is actually a really good episode. This it has one, a couple of a couple of stumbles, but it's pretty good. It really caught me by surprise. I mm-hmm. can't wait to get into the discussion. Tell us a little, if you would, about Blind Date. Blind Date aired on the 9th of May, 2000. It was written by Janine Renshaw, who you may remember from I Will Remember You, mm-hmm. which is one of our favorites, and <laughs> I've Got You Under My Skin. Which is not. This is the fourth of four <laughs> scripts that she has written for Angel, the last one, um, and she will be missed. I kind of, I thought she had a lot of potential. I thought there was some good stuff going on. You there. know, it's a very high average. Yeah, no, it really absolutely which is, is. astonishing, all things considered, <laughs> but it's still, nonetheless, a very high average. Absolutely. And. This episode was directed by Thomas J. Wright. This is the first of two episodes that he will do for Angel. He's one of these classic journeyman directors. He's just done a couple episodes of every single show, I think, that, that is out there. Um, in the Whedonverse, he also directed one episode for Firefly, mm-hmm. the Heart of Gold episode. It would be really interesting to look in depth at the directorial process behind Firefly. Oh, yeah. Because there's such a variety mm-hmm. of, of directorial styles and voices in that show. I think that Thomas Wright does a great job with this episode. I think it is it is fast. And yes, it feels a little frantic. But he manages to keep a lot of plates spinning. He manages mm-hmm. to keep a lot of balls in the air. And when his pacing slows down, I think some of the some of the style is lost mm-hmm. when he slows down for long, drawn-out conversations. Some of those scenes aren't as visually impactful as some of the other scenes. But yeah. I think he does great work. Across the board, really solid work. Yeah, it's tough to keep just a conversation between two people in a room mm. visually interesting. And unfortunately, yes. one of the problems with this episode is that we do have somewhat extended just discussion scenes that per- sort of you know kill the pacing yeah a little particularly bit. when you're saddled with a set like holland's office yeah which mm-hmm. is just uh it's a nothing space mm-hmm. there's just nothing visually interesting you can do yeah but hey let's spend five minutes there <laughs> just talking just endlessly talking yeah and mm-hmm. i guess the conference room space i mean that's purposeful these spaces are supposed to be 
anonymous and corporate. Right. When Lindsay's got Lee Mercer all over his face, that one is visually interesting, but that's <laughs> mostly because arresting, yes. it's disturbing. Yeah. You know, what's weird is that when you said he had Lee Mercer all over his face, it wasn't even the aftermath of that scene that I was thinking <laughs> of. It's the much earlier scene when they're in the hallway mm-hmm. and Lindsay is watching Vanessa talk to Holland. Oh, right. And Lee Mercer just appears out of over nowhere. his shoulder. And super invades his personal space. Such a creepy guy. I mean, apparently Wolfram and Heart doesn't have an HR department, is no. what I'm saying. <laughs> I think probably not. Because bad things would have happened to Lee Mercer a long time ago <laughs> if that had been the case. Let's get into the breakdown because this really is an interesting one. Previously on Angel, Lindsay and Angel faced off. Angel dealt with Faith, and the world was introduced to Charles Gunn and his merry men. <laughs> In a street market downtown, two young boys are buying what we can only assume are legitimate and properly licensed soldier toys from a vendor. He clears the path of a blind woman who is walking with a cane, and we cut hard to a nearby warehouse where Angel is fighting a couple of L.A.'s finest vampire monsters. He takes care of business, then hears the sounds of a dying man. He investigates and is attacked by the blind woman from earlier, who proceeds to smack Angel around like he is a black clawed pinata, <laughs> and then vanishes. Mm-hmm. That is a strong cold open. Yeah. We get a little bit of padding, a little bit of intentional misdirection sure. mm-hmm. right up front, because... We're trained to look at, you know, blind people on television as potential victims. Nothing but vulnerability. Something Mm -hmm. terrible is about to happen, and indeed something does. Mm -hmm. But she, rather than being the victim of that tragedy, is the perpetrator of that tragedy. I like it. I really like the cold open, and it is fast. Mm -hmm. It really moves. At Angel Investigations, after the credits, Wesley's drawing a blank on his attempts to research the blind woman. Cordelia gets the obligatory Helen Keller joke out of the way early, and Wesley suggests the radical notion that Angel actually fought... Well, what he's suggesting is that Angel fought Daredevil, which would be a weird bit of corporate synergy Mm -hmm. for the year 2000. Sure. It turns out, though, that rather than fighting Matt Murdock, Angel fought Vanessa Brewer, a woman with a record of violence who is currently on trial for a double homicide, and of course, her lawyers are Wolfram and Hart. (laughs) Bit of interesting kind of structural work there, Mm -hmm. right at the beginning. Firstly, I love how swift the exposition is. Right. This Mm -hmm. is a packed scene between Wesley and Cordelia, and not all of the dialogue is shining. Mm -hmm. Not all of it is is the best example of its form. It's perfunctory, but part of that is that it fulfills a function. It absolutely (laughs) does, and that function is dispatched with swiftly. We get all of the backstory about Vanessa Brewer Mm -hmm. just immediately. Which is great, because in another episode of Angel, that would be our first act. That would be the whole first act, figuring out who she is, sure. Mm -hmm. But we dispatch that very swiftly. And then we have to deal with the timeline issue, which is that (laughs) Vanessa Brewer has been in trouble with the police before for, quote-unquote, witnessing violent Mm -hmm. crimes. She's currently on trial for a double homicide, but is out on bail. And she thought that now is the perfect time... To go and kill a guy in an alley downtown. To just go and kill somebody. I mean, you know, she is an assassin. So this is just, you know, she's got work to do, you know. Sure. But I think that when you're on bail for, you know, a double homicide, that maybe you should just, you know, take a sabbatical, you know. Holland does suggest later that she's only been caught Mm -hmm. a fraction of the number of times that she should have been caught. So perhaps they're just assuming (laughs) that, well, Mm -hmm. what are the odds that she's going to be caught again? Mm -hmm. Right? This is just some guy 
downtown. What are the odds that a vampire vigilante will be watching from the shadows? Uh, true, true. But, you know, I mean, that's for the people who are hiring her, like the amount of risk that they want to take. It seems to me like she's taking a phenomenal amount of risk. I certainly hope that they're paying her well. We get no insight into her character oh, no. at all, yeah. which is arguably an oversight in the episode but at the same time this isn't a story about vanessa She's not she might as guy. well be a blind demon yeah for all the humanity and backstory she possesses no this is about Lindsay versus himself this is an internal antagonist story uh where Lindsay is struggling with trying to make choices in for himself part, certainly, so yeah. i think that well that's Probably, I think, for me, the most interesting part of it. I would agree. It's mm-hmm. the most interesting. <laughs> Definitely not the only story that we're dealing with, mm-hmm. because we do have children to rescue for sure. really no good reason. Mm-hmm. But we're assured that that's important. Vanessa, though, really is just a placeholder. She really is just yeah. a threat. Mm-hmm. And she's an interesting and original threat, yeah. at least. But not for all that particularly particularly well-developed within the frame of the narrative. She's a side story. And yeah. I think that as a character, she would be a really interesting main story. Um, and I could have done with somebody slightly less interesting in this space, just, you know, a regular assassin. it feels assassin. like she's a wasted It feels it's like a it's a wasted opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. There could be something much, much more interesting to do with her. Um, but, uh, but we don't. We just kind of, you know, have her in the background. And I think that she's almost distracting because she has that potential to be so interesting. <laughs> Interesting when really what we're focused on is Lindsay. Yeah, we care about her enough that we get some very imaginative and unorthodox POV shots as sure, she's sure. fighting. Mm-hmm. But that really is the limit of our concern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, she's just another nameless assassin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We cut from the office to Lindsay McDonald, who is giving in court a rousing defense of Vanessa when Angel bursts in, throws her sunglasses at her, and watches her catch them because. You know, blind is a relative term. Sure. <laughs> We're just really moving. We're just yeah. really buzzing through the script. From there, we cut back to the office where Wesley talks a little about the physics of sight for no good reason and about how Vanessa is in the employ of Wolfram and Hart. From there, we cut to Wolfram and Hart where Lindsay watches Vanessa talk with Holland Manners. This is the scene that I mentioned right. earlier. Mm-hmm. Lindsay is called over to join the conversation, has a brief but awkward encounter with Vanessa, she says goodbye. Holland and Lindsay talk about the year he's had. Faith was a misstep, but he's course-correcting, and Holland is on his side. But he hasn't been happy lately, and he needs to figure out his place in the world. In the meantime, though, he also needs to put together a tragic backstory to excuse the next heinous crime that Vanessa is going to commit, a crime involving children. We're just moving so fast yeah. through this story. Mm-hmm. Though, this is the first of our three monologues from Holland. Mm -hmm. We should talk about Sam Anderson, of course. Mm -hmm. A fantastically charismatic actor. Oh my god, I love this guy. As Bernard on Lost, he's so fantastic. Nothing but villains, Mm -hmm. except on Lost. And he's so adorable on Lost. (laughs) I love him. He has been in pretty much everything. He's Mm -hmm. definitely one of those working actors that you see in in every show. Right, Mm mm-hmm. I think that Bernard was clearly his definitive performance, Mm -hmm. for me at least. But I think he's great in this episode, though we do spend a little too long with him. We spend a lot too long with him. He gets three conversations which are effectively monologues that anchor the episode. We get this one, we get the one in the conference room later after Lee has been dispatched. Mm -hmm. And then we get the one right at the end of the episode where he presents the the choice Mm -hmm. to Lindsay. And 
each of those conversations feels like it is between 30 and 50% too long. Yeah, no, it really is. It's just too much. I don't think that we care that much about Holland manners. Um, I think that there's, there's some explanation needed for why we will kill Lee for just meeting with other people, but we won't kill Lindsay mm -hmm. for, you know, violating the, the trust with the, the firm. The part of it that doesn't really work for me is his loyalty to the firm and mm -hmm. the way that he expresses that. Mm -hmm. He manages to communicate everything he needs to communicate in the opening scene without talking about the fact that, that Lindsay has been unhappy. Yeah. Without talking about, you know, a young man's desire to, to mm -hmm. see the rest of the world, to wonder if there is more out there. That's not an immediately compelling part of his narrative. Mm -hmm. And it's also not completely attached to the rest of the story. Yeah. I don't necessarily feel that that material is motivating Lindsay as much as he is simply battling with good and evil. Despite right. what Holland says later, it really is, in practice, about good and evil. No, it really is. And I think that some of Holland's perspective is valuable here because it gives us this sense of how Wolfram, Wolfram and Hart creates its own narrative, you know, which is which is an interesting thing. Um, but, but overall, that, it's it's not a compelling narrative it's I think not you're right yeah does that narrative the the narrative that holland offers and clearly a narrative that he himself personally believes mm -hmm. does that sit comfortably alongside the narrative that we've established of wolfram and hart throughout the season does that sit alongside what we understood of Lindsay in earlier episodes what we understand of lila and of lee in earlier episodes yeah what doesn't sit well here is the fact that we are not immediately killing Lindsay. we have this whole fearful thing that he's going to get destroyed that wolfram and hart is just going to kill him and they don't for reasons that are not i, I kind of buy that uh, I, I buy the idea do. that holland sees within lee Potential, or within Lindsay. as he said. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the naming convention here. Right, exactly. Just designed to frustrate <laughs> podcasters, of course. Yes, he mm -hmm. sees potential, as he says, within Lindsay. But it's not a potential for, you know, great accomplishment directly. It's a mm -hmm. potential for evil. What he sees within Lindsay is arguably a soullessness. A soullessness. Yeah, I think so. I think that this is one of the many instances in which less would be so much more. Um, you, if you don't have Holland explain why he spared Lindsay, yes, then wondering why he did is so much more compelling. Don't stitch so, a narrative onto it, particularly a narrative yeah. that isn't actually, it would seem, a core part of Wolfram and Hart's identity uh -huh. within the frame of the show. Right. It's not that it's bad. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's a tangent. It's a deviation from, from the primary thrust of the narrative here. It's a distraction, you know, kind of like Vanessa Brewer. It's a distraction. See, you know? I don't think that Vanessa's a distraction because she is a vital part of the plot. We need something monstrous to unite Lindsay and Angel. No, but the things that make her interesting and different and, and give her so much potential for being a really interesting story that we're not going to tell... I think make her distracting. Having just a boring assassin in that spot is fine. But we've seen Angel What's Dispatch. What's important is that they're going to kill three kids. But we've seen Angel Dispatch boring assassins before. The thing about Vanessa is that right from the jump, mm -hmm. she really is a new threat. She's a new kind of enemy for him to face. I like that she's tough. I like that she beat him up. You know, I don't yeah. need her to be blind and have well, this whole Tibetan and backstory and this, like, all of that stuff. Honestly, she's she is 
too interesting to be shuffled off to the side the way that she is. That's fair. It's also true that her final defeat isn't mm-hmm. in any way connected to the Angel and Lindsay yeah. story. No. It's not a product. Their ability to defeat her is not a product of their working together or right. of their, you know, growing moral introspection. It's, it's just It's not something they wouldn't have been able to do, yeah. you know, had they not worked together. So it's not a real essential part of this central story, which I find really interesting. Mm. I like Lindsay struggling with yeah. how evil he's willing to go. How low can you go? You know, <laughs> um, I think that that's interesting. I think you're right that Vanessa is is there is wasted potential there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that she probably is too interesting to be squandered on this episode. But we would need were Vanessa absent, we would need someone in that space who was a new and interesting and genuine threat. Yeah. Which we established pretty firmly in the cold open when she takes Angel apart. Oh, sure. But you're right. Had it just been a standard demon, Mm -hmm. we could have achieved much the same outcome. And and it's another thing where Though without the courtroom scene, I suppose. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay gets to work on Holland's instruction and we cut to Angel smashing his phone. Vanessa has been acquitted by a hung jury. I'll say that again. She's been acquitted by a hung jury. (laughs) That is not how trials work. (laughs) A hung jury is a jury that cannot return a verdict. Mm -hmm. Acquitted means that you were found innocent. In order to be acquitted, the jury needs to necessarily not be hung. I like to believe that Angel just heard from his unknown source that Vanessa was Uh. acquitted. And he just threw hung jury in there because he heard it once on an episode of Matlock. Oh, did she actually hang the jury? Because that might be different. That would explain it. That is entirely possible. But that would certainly challenge our understanding of legal proceedings in the Angel verse. (laughs) And would kind of make Wolfram and Hart a little superfluous at that (laughs) point. Angel is having an existential crisis about his place in the world and apparently his realization that this is a noir story. He suddenly realized for the first time that power is what it's all about. Nothing ever changes, he says, except for Lindsay showing up and asking for help. That's new. (laughs) So here's the thing with this scene. I really like its intent. Yes. But it is way too much. Way too soon. It's way too much, way too fast. Not to mention the fact that the one thing Angel has always had clarity on was why he fights. It's well, not about ever since winning. Amends, right. But it's not about winning. It's about going out and fighting and doing what you can and knowing that it's never going to be enough and at being at peace with that. This is something that he has yeah. always had. And it's simply because we have this sudden thing where, you know, he can't, you know, prove that this woman has been killing people or she's going to get acquitted and she's going to get off and she's just going to go kill more people. Like all of a sudden he's getting frustrated with this, which is something that he had his peace with ages ago. This is apparently, we are led to believe, the first time that Angel has witnessed a failure of the justice system. Right. Which which is is impossible to reconcile, even just with the events of the season that we've seen Mm -hmm. so far. Remember The Ring, when a bunch of rich white people were making demons fight to the death for their pleasure? This (laughs) is not Angel's first rodeo, and he is not unfamiliar Mm -hmm. with how Los Angeles works, that it is a town of power and power brokers. Mm -hmm. I like, though, the existential crisis. I can't help but be drawn to Angel's philosophical conflict. Longtime listeners to Dusted will know that is kind of my jam. That is one of the things that I go to Buffy for. It's just in this one instance, under-motivated. Yeah, it doesn't ring true, which is problematic. I like that 
I, I like that he's going through this crisis at the same time that Lindsay's going through his crisis. We have this nice line from Angel where he misses the clarity of of just wanting of that power. Absolute evil. Of yes. absolute evil. And I, I kind of like that there's, you know, there's a simplicity to that that he can miss. Um, I think those are really interesting ideas. We come across it way too fast. It's not properly motivated. It doesn't make sense. Angel has made his peace with the fact that he is going to fight this fight. He is going to live and die fighting this fight. And that's it. I could see him having some frustration and just being like, this is it. This is, I'm just going to do this forever, you know? Um, but the, the seeming like, you know, rage and righteous injustice and yeah. all this kind of stuff is not consistent with who Angel is. He has accepted this well, long ago. Not under these circumstances. I think you could motivate this existential crisis, but it can't be over something abstract. You yeah. need to have Vanessa kill someone very close to Angel. You know who would have been great? Tell me who would have been great. Kate. It would have been awesome if, <laughs> if Vanessa killed, killed Kate, Kate, Kate. If she killed Kate Lockley, if Kate Lockley was in a situation that Angel had put her in, or that was somehow related to him so that he could feel appropriately guilty about it. And then this woman had killed Kate, and that yes. was how it became personal for him. Plus, two birds, one stone, no more Kate. Well, not, that we, uh, sure. not that we've seen a lot of Kate And lately, don't get me so, wrong, that yeah. is a very attractive fringe benefit. <laughs> that is a perk that I'm rather attracted to. You couldn't do the courtroom storyline, of course, because the timeline would be shot. You can't suddenly have a time jump and of four months in order to make the story work. Yeah. Instead of setting it, setting any of the action in the courtroom, mm -hmm. though, you have Vanessa kill Kate early in the episode. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's even the right. cold open. Mm -hmm. Vanessa is arrested. Wolfram and Hart intervene. Vanessa is sprung. Exactly. She can't even she be even arrested. She doesn't go to trial. Exactly. Because that of the machinations be of Wolfram and Hart. You have Angel witness that directly. Mm -hmm. And you absolutely seal the fact that there will now never be justice for the victim, for Kate. Exactly. And you also that really would be a motivate. powerful motivation. Yeah, you really motivate his hatred of Lindsay. I mean, we already have that history, but when Lindsay is the personal representation to him for everything that Wolfram and Hart does. It's a little tough though, right? Because yeah. Lindsay, Christian Kane, yeah. is just enormously charismatic. And yeah. even though he's supposed to be awful and evil, he's just really likable. You can't likeable. help but kind of like him. Now, if it had been Lee Mercer, Oh, sure. Lee Mercer is detestable, and I will never buy that guy as a hero, no matter the circumstance. <laughs> well, you won't have to, because they're getting him out of the carpet That's right now. Very, yeah, <laughs> very good point. No, you're right. There is a there is a tension here between the degree of motivation mm -hmm. and the degree of response. Right. And I think that you could have... It would have changed the shape of the story a mm -hmm. little, but I do think that drawing out Angel's crisis mm -hmm. and opposing it with Lindsay's crisis would... A, have led to a thematically more satisfying episode, oh, and would sure. B, have made this episode more of an Angel story. Yeah. Because exactly. right now, Angel is a bit player in the Lindsay show. And you know what? I've got very little problem with that, because it's good. Like, Lindsay's part I'd of have, this episode, I really enjoy. I'd have less of a problem if last week's episode hadn't been the gun show. Mm, I don't know. I like it gun, It feels too. like Angel is being... <laughs> Ever so slightly, and, and we're clearly we're doing this purposefully. Right. We're adding characters, we're adding depth, we're, we're adding complexity and world community, building. Right. Sure. We're moving with purpose toward the second season of this show. So I do understand it. Mm -hmm. But two episodes back to back in which Angel is sidelined. Sidelined. Sure. That's not great for his status as as the you know star. eponymous hero. <laughs> yes. No, I can definitely understand that, and I, I really would have loved to have seen this be more personal for Angel to have it be something that at least if the people he was just happened to be there 
killing something and bumps into her if he was even protecting even if we don't want to you know end uh elizabeth rome's contract with angel um you know if if it's somebody that he's protecting an oh, innocent you know you and she done, kills them yeah you could have done the spider-man origin story yeah mm-hmm. where he doesn't stop vanessa yeah. even though he can see her maybe he misjudges her maybe he thinks for a moment that he's she found the fails. wrong person he doesn't right. intervene and mm-hmm. she kills someone so it's on him so that he is personally connected to the case there are any number of ways of of personally motivating this story as it is though it's a little informed so while i like the story that we get i can see the holes in the structure surrounding Mm -hmm. it yeah which is we could tighten that up a a little unfortunate Mm -hmm. i do though i can i feel like i say this with with new revelation every week (laughs) david boreanaz is really good no he's just really really good he really is i feel like i kind of have to stop drawing attention to that and just take as read that he's exceptional in this role. No, but I think he's one of those actors that gets really underrated. Like, I think so too. not entirely unlike Sarah Michelle Geller. You know, Sarah Michelle Geller, yeah. people don't take her terribly for, seriously. For as an different actress. reasons, though. For yeah. different reasons. But I mean, Sarah Michelle Geller over in Buffy is just fantastic. And David Boreanaz, I don't think, has Sarah Michelle Geller's range, but I don't think so a lot of people do. do. Yeah. Like, that's, it's almost inhuman. But he does what he does so well. And it's almost, unexpected you know it's Mm. almost like he does it and it's a surprise to everybody including him he just has this innate ability to to kind of play these these different emotional spaces Mm. and just hop into it and do it and do the work it's also so dependent though on the individual script i think that sarah michelle geller is oftentimes able to elevate material that wouldn't work for any other actor mm-hmm. i think that david boreanis is a little more challenged in that mm-hmm. particular specific regard and that's yeah. okay it's not his job to elevate the script no and i mean and yeah i think the first season angel scripts have been more inconsistent they than have. what we're getting over on buffy which yeah. makes perfect sense it's the first season of a show yeah and if you compare the first season of angel to the first season of buffy I clearly think, on firmer ground. Yeah, Angel comes out a little yeah. higher. Mm-hmm. Let's head on. Angel and Lindsay talk about fear and they talk about choices. Lindsay knows all about Angel's father and family long ago and far away, which is a detail I adore. Mm-hmm. But Lindsay's seen real poverty. Angel is snippy. But Lindsay tells him about the children and that's enough to wipe that smirk off his face and convince him to take this situation seriously. There are files inside Wolfram and Hart, but Lindsay and Angel will need to work together to get inside, to get past the demonic vault guard, and to get the information they need. And so we set the stage for a really unexpected heist. Oh my god, I love this. It's like (laughs) proto-leverage. For those of you out there listening who have not watched Leverage, um, first of all, if you like Christian Kane, Lindsay, at all, Go watch it. Um, but Leverage is so fantastic. They have this heist in every episode, and it's so fun, and it's really energetic. And this heist, it feels like Leverage. It it's does. so it fun. Does. We could do a Leverage podcast. Oh, put it on the list. Has put Thomas J. Wright directed an episode of Leverage? It absolutely feels like something. Dollars to donuts, I'll bet he has. <laughs> Angel goes first, though, to recruit Gunn and gives him some advice on his crazy vehicle-mounted stake launcher. <laughs> Which I looked at, I still can't figure out how that thing's supposed to work. How does it fire the stakes? I don't know. What is the mechanism by which that is possible? I don't know. See, this is the difference between you and me. You look at it and you think, <laughs> what is the mechanism that makes that pop- possible? And I look at it and I think, gun is so sexy. <laughs> okay. I mean, I can understand that perspective. Don't get me wrong. 
Gunn, though, isn't interested in helping until Angel assures him that, yes, okay, it'll be super dangerous and dramatic. I promise you the opportunity to look good, okay? Gunn, are you on board now? Lindsay goes to work and makes his way to the basement where he runs into Lila Morgan. He waits for her to leave, then slips out of the records office and slaps his security badge on the bottom of a fire extinguisher box, which will henceforth be known in the tradition of hackers as that place where I put that thing that time. <laughs> Every time someone does a dead drop like this, yes. I think of hackers for exactly that reason. That place where I put that thing that time. Angel cuts his way in from the sewers with a torch. Lindsay goes to talk with the head of security and Gunn. Well, Gunn plays it up like Eddie Murphy in 1985, monologuing about his civil rights until the appointed time when his associates deliver a heavy bundle into the foyer. And it's brilliant. Oh, my God. I love it. It's fantastic. (laughs) When we talk about comedy that comes from character. Yes. This is exactly what Mm -hmm. we mean, because not only is it necessary for the plot Mm -hmm. not only is it an actual act that contributes to the arc of the story Mm -hmm. but it springs from gun's essential character oh yeah if gun were going to put on a show this is exactly the show that he would put on and he's wonderful i love jay august richards he is very very fun and when he's given really good stuff to do he nails it yeah he really does and the underlying mechanics of the heist Mm -hmm. Which is no easy feat to orchestrate this kind of storytelling on the small oh, yeah. screen mm-hmm. within a span of, you know, five minutes. <laughs> it's sure, difficult to yeah. make it work, mm-hmm. to make it sufficiently transparent that the audience can follow along, mm-hmm. but also sufficiently complex that we can be surprised Impressed and delighted by, by it. Right. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Here, though, the real trick is the delivery of the vampire into the foyer, yes. where the bundle is untied, revealing the vampire inside. In the security office, the vampire-sensing shaman, because <laughs> all companies have one of those, mm-hmm. starts to screech. The security guards leap into action, and Angel slips inside as Lindsay covers for him. The guards stake the vamp, while Angel effortlessly disarms the demon guarding the vault, thanks to some anti-demon dust. From Wesley... Yeah, I, I like think that. <laughs> if you track the whole episode, that right there is Wesley's contribution. I know. I do love Gunn. Yes. And I love the scene in the foyer, as previously mentioned. I do wish that we could have found something for Wesley, yes, but specifically also Cordelia, Cordelia yeah. to do in the heist. Cordelia, you know, does her little hacking stuff in this episode, which is, you know... but. No spoilers. Yeah. This is the Cordelia problem that Angel is going to have. Yeah. It is just not going to be sure what to do with her. Because for some reason, her visions are no longer a thing. <laughs> uh, we gave her visions. We gave her a role. She is the messenger. She is the connection. We went to so much trouble. Yes. To build up Doyle's prophetic visions mm-hmm. and the powers that be. Right. We went to all the trouble of transferring those visions to Cordelia and dealing with that whole thing. And now it's been mm-hmm. what six episodes eight episodes since yeah. she even had a vision yeah we're just not relying know. on them to drive these plots yeah mm-hmm. which and is we so could weird use them in a few places to kind of tighten up some of the nonsense we go through to get angel in a particular place at a particular time to go to all the trouble mm-hmm. of building that into the conflict engine right. and then just not using it relying on coincidence relying on the yeah. coincidence of angel being across the street when gun is looking for vampires right relying on the coincidence of angel being in the warehouse when, when vanessa, vanessa brewer shows up sure mm-hmm. We're, we're forced to 
put so much time and energy into mm-hmm. contrivance yeah. when we actually have a mechanism that is our right. get out of and jail it is free a, card. It is a coincidence delivery system. That, it like, is. Because it's That's from the powers that be. So if it's a coincidence, it's obviously meant to be invaded because there are people running the show. It's one of the, it is unfathomable to me how they do not use Cordelia and her visions and but, her connection to the powers that be to give her a stronger role. That aside... I don't even necessarily need Cordelia to use her visions. I just need her to be present. Yeah. Because we saw back in the ring mm-hmm. how great she and Wesley can be together. Uh, yeah. And they get nothing to do in this episode mm-hmm. but exposition. That yeah. is it. And that's a sad waste. It is. It's kind of a shame. Although in this particular, if it wasn't happening in every episode, I could let it pass for this episode because this is, you know, a Lindsay-centric episode and we're really focusing on pulling him in and, you know, fair enough. But it wouldn't have hurt to give Cordelia and Wesley a minor role in the heist, heist, too. It would have been so fun. One extra little twist, one extra little quirk. You could have done it in 10 seconds. Something they could do, sure. A little disappointing. Yeah. But nonetheless, the heist is thoroughly engaging angel investigates the vault and finds an ornate scroll case he picks it up and an alarm immediately begins to sound he calls Lindsay's cell phone how's that working for you andy rooney and Lindsay <laughs> makes his way to the exit but runs straight into lila and lee the company has chosen this moment to conduct a sweep and the mind readers have been brought in the mind readers walk down the line inside the conference room pausing in front of Lindsay, of course then in front of lila then talk quietly to Holland. He expresses his disappointment that anyone could have betrayed Wolfram and Hart, then tells Lee that he's been in talks with another firm. One gunshot later, and the random screening is over. Though before Lindsay can leave, Holland asks him just to hang on for a second. I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's just some administrative things. Sure, sure. Some paperwork he needs him to do. <laughs> Back in the office, Angel delivers the files to Cordelia, and Wesley takes the scroll case. The scroll is written in ancient Aramaic, and Angel can't quite explain why he took it. Oh, and it turns out that the files are encrypted. There's a lot of that going around these days. (laughs) Holland sits down with Lindsay and lays out the whole scheme. He knows everything, and Lindsay has no choice but to come clean. Holland monologues a little more, then a little more, then just a little more about love and crisis and courage. He's confident that Lindsay will figure out his place and be a loyal part of the firm once more. Back at the office, Cordelia is talking on the phone with Willow, taking instruction on how to break the encryption. A few clicks later, and they're in, reading Vanessa's file and learning all about her. She's being sent to take out three blind children, Sears. Lindsay arrives better late than never, and we learn where the children are being held. So this is the transition out of the heist plot, which is successfully accomplished, Mm -hmm. and into our much more typical angel third act yes Mm -hmm. we have to go somewhere and fight someone to protect someone yes that said i think the transition works nicely enough i think it does i mean a heist isn't something that we typically do in angel it's not part of the typical structure i think that it was really nicely done we also have a bit of this mystery with the scroll which i think Mm -hmm. is kind of interesting we're letting that sort of lay there light touch through this it was a really nice light touch i like that yeah i I liked it very much too those of you who know angel of course will know that that scroll will be pretty significant uh, heading into next week and Mm -hmm. beyond we'll talk more about that next week i think when it's more directly relevant Mm -hmm. I love, of course, Cordelia calling Willow. Mm -hmm. I don't buy for a moment that that is how Cordelia talks to Willow on the phone. Sure. But that's fine. (laughs) Right at the end, she hangs up by saying, thanks, Will. Yeah, exactly. 
Cordelia has never said thanks, Will, in her life or called her Will. In not fact. to mention that Cordelia, I think, has probably not spoken to Willow since graduation. <laughs> um, and, I, you know, it just feels to me like it would be a slightly more formal relationship at that point. But, but I like the whatever. connection yeah. back to the it's, events of the Yoko Factor in Prime nice. Evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is, it's a they're, nice little bit of decrypting of files, too. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we actually hit that just yeah. a little mm-hmm. with, with Angel's response to that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like the scene. Yeah. I do. The big scene, though, the thing that really draws our attention here is, of course, the death of Lee Mercer, which is graphic and sudden and just unexpected, I Mm -hmm. think. Did you spot that one coming? Uh, No, unexpected, but I would say entirely unwelcome. I mean, I think that it's... Certainly not entirely unwelcome. (laughs) He's he's kind of been a creepy dude since the beginning. It's sort of good to see him go. He's also been a part of this, Mm -hmm. you know, dark side power trio that we've seen between Lindsay Lee and Lila. Mm -hmm. I was surprised... Not just, I mean, the first time I watched it, I was surprised that he died at all. Watching it this time, I'm surprised how sudden and how complete it is. I, I love that. It's, it's, so, it's because, of course, at that moment, by the standards you're, of Angel. you're worried for Lindsay sure. because they've got the mind readers in there and somebody has betrayed us and this whole thing from Holland Manners. And then they shoot Lee and you're like, uh, okay. And then Lindsay's almost out and he gets pulled back in. Um, it's a nice tense moment i think that probably holland manners feels the same way about lee that everybody else does and that you know i could spare (laughs) him i'm not sure i actually like the specificity of this Mm -hmm. because while holland does perhaps go on a little longer than is necessary to completely communicate his point i feel that which is a typically holland thing yeah sure and something that you know we're prone to here on dusted too from time to time i mean very very rarely let's be clear about that but i love very much the difference between Lindsay and Lee. Mm -hmm. Lindsay had a crisis of conscience. Lee betrayed the company to another company. Yeah. He was actually still playing the game. Mm -hmm. Lindsay wasn't sure if he wanted to be a part of the game. That distinction, I think, makes all the difference between the two. And why I actually have no trouble with Holland (laughs) effectively executing Lee right there in the conference room, but giving Lindsay another chance. Yeah, I feel like as afraid as everybody is in that moment, um, it seems like Wolfram and Hart will kill you for anything, you know? Well, and so when really, they kill Lee we haven't um, really for seen t- being that, in though. talks with another firm, and yet Lindsay, who has absolutely betrayed Wolfram and Hart, you know, not killing no, him, see, it feels a little weird to me. It feels I a little inconsistent. I think that's the key difference, because mm-hmm. we're talking about Lee going to another firm and taking clients with him. I think that Lindsay has betrayed Wolfram and Hart's interests. Mm -hmm. Lee betrayed Wolfram and Hart. Mm. I think there's a difference between who we are, the firm, and the work that the firm does. Mm -hmm. The firm doesn't really have a personal interest in these kids. Mm -hmm. It's a job. It's a contract. So Lindsay is, in that moment, you know, working with a competitor, if you like. Mm -hmm. But he's not betraying the family. I, I, I can see that difference, at least, and that difference is sufficient for me to be to be satisfied with mm-hmm. the, the arc that we get here, though. Yeah, Holland, I feel... It, it's tough because I like everything he has to say. Yeah. But when he starts monologuing about love mm-hmm. and doesn't really connect it back, he doesn't really bring it back around, it doesn't quite work. It doesn't make sense. He's like, you know, your drunk uncle at Thanksgiving who starts talking about politics. Like, well, that's not know? true because there's nothing racist in exactly. this. <laughs> no, <that's very> <laughs> But I mean, like just rambling about stuff that doesn't really make sense. And you just got to sit there and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, sure, uh-huh. You sure. know, um, so I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't see it as 
consistent. I feel like a little less from Holland would make us wonder why is he letting Lindsay live and worry You're about right. that a little yeah. bit more. I think that he talks a little, no, not a little, a lot too much in these scenes. And then if we had given him so much less, we could feel less secure for Lindsay that or, maybe he's not being killed at this moment because Holland has something worse in mind for if him. We you just know, pushed it back mm-hmm. to the last scene because this is only the second of the, right. the three scenes that Lindsay and Holland are going to have together. So even if we just just been a little more brief here, mm-hmm. left a space open for for doubt and for paranoia. Yeah allowed Lindsay to feel a little less secure mm-hmm. and and also to you know make a less informed choice because yeah. I, I like very much the idea that Lindsay is definitively choosing Angel and the kids mm-hmm. over Wolfram and Hart. Sure. I like and, and we need Holland to make his case as thoroughly as he does mm-hmm. in order for Lindsay to make that kind of informed choice. Yeah. Making that informed choice though feels a little contrary to Lindsay's position at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Because it feels at that point, he's burned his moral bridges. He knows that there's no way, or at least he believes, it turns out that there is actually a way mm-hmm. that he can get away with it. But he believes in that moment that there's no way he can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And he must, at that point, have made some kind of peace with himself. Yeah. But then at the end of the episode, when he discovers that actually he didn't burn his bridges, actually he's getting a promotion, mm-hmm. then he swings back a little too quickly. That's nitpicky, though. I, I, I feel I like that's... I actually kind of like that. Th- there's some grit yeah. in the characterization there mm-hmm. that is not unproblematic. Mm-hmm. But in its broadest movements, I think it works. And I do think we should talk about Christian Kane and his ability to simply sell Lindsay's arc through this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He does a great job with it, and a he lesser actor would have struggled. really good. Yeah. yeah. We cut from there to the aforementioned children and to the swift and bloody death of their guardian at the tip of (laughs) Vanessa's cane. A moment later, Angel attacks. He and Lindsay fight Vanessa while the children cower, but it turns out that Vanessa, like a T-Rex, can only see you if you move. (laughs) Armed with this knowledge, Angel turns the tables and finally kills her. In a packed and frenetic episode, it feels like we spend a long time in this fight scene. Well, okay. For me, every fight scene feels long. I <laughs> am so bored by all the fight scenes, and I realize that's by just all me. of them, really. Mostly, except for the faith ones. Yeah, I don't. I, honestly, I write fighty, fighty, kick, kick in every single one. Sure. I just, I don't. It, it, I don't care about it. It doesn't interest me because there isn't much movement going on in these character moments, which is the stuff mm-hmm. that I'm really interested in. It's just the fight scene. And you don't get bored by those. They don't bore you. No, sometimes sometimes they go on too long. Okay. Sometimes their narrative effect isn't quite what, what I want it to be. What is it in the fight scenes that is engaging for you? Oh, is the it the execution. acrobatics of it? Sure. Is it the well, choreography? Not, not specifically just the acrobatics, but the combination of 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 choreography, mm-hmm. cinematography, of stunt work, of, of you know music cues and lighting, just sure. the normal directorial mm-hmm. arts. I think that a well executed fight scene has a narrative unto itself. And I'm not like an action movie guy. Yeah. But I'm not immediately bored by them as you are. And yeah. I have an appreciation, particularly, you know, we've watched a lot of Buffy and Angel <laughs> at this point. And yeah. I have an appreciation for well-executed fight scenes. And I think this is well-executed. Mm-hmm. I think it just goes on a little too long. We should say that the reason that it is so well-executed is that Jennifer Badger Martin, who plays Vanessa, mm-hmm. 
is a stunt performer on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. She has previously doubled for both Buffy and Faith. Yeah. Though presumably not in the same scenes. That's funny because when I was watching her, I was like, this is the same person who did Faith. Yes. Because she has that same physicality. So she this is the very, stunt woman. A very That's faith fantastic. physicality. Yes. Well, good. That's awesome. And I think she's great. Yeah. I just think we maybe go to we maybe go to the mechanics of the fight, mm. to Angel standing perfectly still, to her POV shots. We go to that a couple of times more than we really need to, because this isn't a story about Vanessa. Mm-hmm. And had she just been, you know, a, a Buffy standard six and a half foot tall demon with horns sure, sure. and scales. Mm-hmm. Angel would have dispatched that demon much more swiftly. Mm-hmm. We spend a little too long because Vanessa is such an interesting opponent. But while that's good for the Vanessa story, it creates a tension with the actual story that we're here to tell. Mm-hmm. So overall, I like it. But yeah, it runs it runs just a little too long. Mm-hmm. I do like the idea, though, that her enhanced senses are motion-based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like the mechanics. I like the choreography of that fight. Do we have any kind of foreshadowing that would have Angel have this sudden revelation in the middle of the fight? Is there any explanation for oh, why I, he suddenly understands how her vision works? I credited it to Wesley's research because yeah. Wesley talks about Vanessa undertaking this very specific mystical path. Right. That she's undertaken this very specific kind of enlightenment. And I believe that had Wesley researched that further, he would have found out that, oh, this is the trick. But we didn't see that, though, right? We didn't see it, no. Okay. No. All right. Because it but, felt to me like a, a, a sudden inspiration there that didn't really feel grounded in what had happened. It's communicated really well in the moment where we get that mm-hmm. blurred motion yeah, from Angel absolutely. and then suddenly he disappears and we cut back from her POV to a standard shot and he's just perfectly still. But we saw her see all the kids. Is it because they had flowing blood and heartbeats because when we saw the no, shot I, of them they were all in red angels blue did we get a pov shot of the kids we from, got a shot of from her yeah of the kids it could be that would which make i sense. didn't understand so they've got beating hearts with they've no got heartbeat, blood no, flowing yeah, with no heartbeat with sense. no blood flowing that might make sense okay there it is <laughs> fair enough back at the office wesley tells angel that the children are safe and that the scroll he took from the vault was how Wolfram and Hart knew of their coming. Turns out there's an entire passage about a vampire with a soul contained within that mysterious scroll, which, weirdly, doesn't come as a surprise to Angel. Mm-hmm. Really nice scene. Yeah. Like really that. nice scene, very rich in potential. A nice bit of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. I like that. As, yeah. uh, as I said earlier, we'll talk about that extensively next week, I well, think. And again, it's like we have this get-out-of-jail-free card for coincidence because the powers that be appear to be manipulating a lot of the stuff. So the fact that Angel would look at the scroll and somehow mysteriously know that it was for him kind of makes sense. It fits into this world. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think the coincidence in this story doesn't bother me. It, it, it's bothersome from a narrative perspective mm-hmm. because we could have in, we could have replaced that coincidence with something that properly motivated Angel. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just as a freestanding piece of coincidence, it doesn't bother me that much. Mm-hmm. It only appears problematic, I think, because we had... So much coincidence last week. It's weird that Warzone and Blind Date go to the same kind of structural tropes, mm-hmm. though they are very different episodes. Well, but I like this coincidence. I like what it says about the world. I like that it says that there is a plan, there is meaning, sure. there is there's somebody running this show. 
Um, I, I like that. And I think that it fits well into the angel universe that we're seeing sort of solidify at this point. Well, let me tell you, you're going to love season two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a really interesting point, though, because I think that we talked when we were talking about Warzone. Mm-hmm. We addressed the idea that this was a, a gesture toward where we were headed. Yeah. This was, in a sense, a new perspective on Los Angeles, a perspective that is going to be a more fully explored in the seasons to come. Mm-hmm. If Warzone felt like a pointer toward season two Angel, Blind Date feels like the first episode of season two Angel. It does. Mm -hmm. It feels like a very different kind of show. And it feels like a show that we can. I said when we were talking about Warzone that Warzone doesn't create a frame of, of sufficient possibility for an ongoing show. It's one story that you're done with at the end. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. Gunn becomes an ongoing character, but we can't have an ongoing show wherein Gunn's band of merry men are a regular feature. Sure. Mm-hmm. This, though, absolutely feels like it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. These two shows, it's interesting, of course, it's completely random chance that we happen to be covering both Warzone and Blind Date this in week. In the same We're week, We're only sure. covering them in the same week because the Yoko Factor and, and, and Primeval, Primeval. Mm-hmm. form a two-parter. But I'm really glad that we looked at these two episodes together Together, because they form such interesting bookends Mm -hmm. and unified such an interesting vision of what Angel is going to be in its second seasons Mm -hmm. and subsequent seasons. From there, we cut back to Wolfram and Hart. Lindsay goes to Holland. He returns the discs, admitting freely that he's kept copies for his own use and protection. Holland tells him that this isn't about good and evil. In the end, it's about power. Holland is impressed with Lindsay, so impressed, in fact, that he's offering Lindsay his job, since he's being promoted upstairs. It's a choice that every man has to make for himself, and Lindsay finally makes it, closing the doors and making himself comfortable in his new office. It's a pretty strong ending. Yeah. I feel like it's somewhat hampered because... I'm growing weary of Holland's monologues even as the scene is beginning. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I but, love that moment, though, where Lindsay goes toward the door and then shuts it, yeah. you know, and stays on the other side. Yeah. It's it's a nice moment, and I think it speaks a lot to Lindsay's essential character, you know? Somewhat limited, as I said earlier, because that space is such a nondescript corporate space. Yeah. Even with its moody lighting, mm-hmm. it's just, it's a nothing space. Yeah. And what it represents isn't isn't directly tangible. And maybe if I had lived and worked in corporate America, I would appreciate an office with that view. Yeah, no, you would. Just because of the view. <laughs> but I but it don't has, and I haven't and I can't. <laughs> but it has that blank kind of, and, and this is a corporate thing, you know, where these offices are kind of blank and flat and everything is which speaks to the soulless you know, evil of Wolfram and Hart which I think does speak to that and I think that while these spaces in Wolfram and Hart are not necessarily visually interesting I think thematically they have that sort of flat soullessness that you need yes. to convey for but Wolfram and Hart Holland's office doesn't need to have that mm-hmm. Holland's office can be can have personality a little more personal although he is clearing it out I mean he's obviously clearing but, out but all of his but not even necessarily stuff. his mm-hmm. stuff but the, the fabric of the yeah. office itself mm-hmm. can have a little more personality it could have stood a little more personality but overall it works mm-hmm. were you convinced by Lindsay's I, I guess conflict in the first place and then decision in the second yeah 
his but arc worked for you through the episode? Well, one of the things that I really liked about this episode, which is ordinarily a thing that wouldn't work, uh, but where Lindsay was talking to Angel about his history mm-hmm. and about, you know, his his growing up and having true poverty and never wanting to live, you know, in that kind of circumstance again. Um, I really, I sympathize with that. And I also, instead of it being one of these things where it's like, let me tell you about my life so that I get my backstory in here. It was as much about slapping Angel, who had been you know for the 17th or 18th century i guess is when he was uh he was turned for some guy from the 18th century um you know it lived a fairly privileged life you know doesn't understand yeah. quasi aristocratic exactly yeah. doesn't understand the kind of poverty that Lindsay had to grow up with and so when we have that background and then we see him able to essentially have his cake and eat it too save the children survive and not only that but be offered a promotion um, I don't think that Lindsay has the the personal sense of right and wrong enough to pass that up. But I he, like that he took it. He has enough to to not want to kill children. children in the first place. To not want to kill children, if that's the line okay. for him. But it's not as though he takes this job knowing that he will never be asked to kill children again in the future. And and let's be clear, he was never asked to kill children. Just to stand by while it happened. Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure that I buy it entirely. It's not that you can't tell this story. Mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that Holland gives the right speech to convince me of Lindsay's arc. If you yeah. get to the end of the episode and he says, it isn't about good and evil, it's mm-hmm. all about power. Mm-hmm. You demonstrated that you are powerful. And yeah. I know what that felt like. And I know that you want more. Here you go. Mm-hmm. I could absolutely buy Lindsay in that moment. Yeah. No, I really, I do buy it. I think that all the while, even as he's making the choice, even as he realizes it's about children, I think Lindsay is always just, it's just 51% to 49. I don't <laughs> no, think he is true. ever, like, he's always on that fence. And he really, really wants the money and the success and the security that he gets from Wolfram and Hart. Um, and most of the time does not care about the, you know, the evil that goes on. I think well, that... Well, doesn't care enough because that's, care that's the flip enough, side. In right. this one instance, he cared 51%. 51%. Normally, he cares 49%. Exactly. And I very much I like, like that him in that, in that space. in that very wobbly space. And I really like the fact that it didn't take a compelling reason. It wasn't that you do this for us or we kill you you it was go ahead you've got the you know you've got the power here you can walk if you want to but here's what you get if you don't and he doesn't and i like that this is who Lindsay is he's not a moral crusader he just had a 51 percent day you know yeah yeah well yeah i'm not sure to say that he had a 51 percent day suggests that it was just that it was random, that it was hormonal. It was a PMS, <laughs> No matter absolutely. what had crossed his desk that day, he would have been suddenly vulnerable and sensitive to it. Sure. I think that there's something about it being children. I think there's something about it being just a step too far. And well, and we talk about his childhood and how nobody protected him when he was a kid, you know? Sure, yeah. that that's a part, but God knows I'm tired of that story, and I'm nah. glad that we don't hit that too hard. Too hard, right. We do hit, though, the fact that he doesn't like or trust Vanessa. Yeah. He's made uncomfortable by her, mm-hmm. and given what he's gone through in this season already, given just what we've seen, yeah. never mind all the other attendant things past which he whistles every day, mm-hmm. that, I think, is significant. And I'm not sure that you could have created that discomfort for Lindsay had Vanessa just been a demon. 
Mm, There's something about human evil. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, human evil versus demonic evil is a theme that we've been addressing in Buffy this whole time. Right. And it's a theme that we've been addressing, albeit with with wild inconsistency Mm -hmm. through this season of Angel. But Wolfram and Hart represents the human evil in the demonic world. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting place to be. Because I think it's entirely possible for Lindsay to have worked at Wolfram and Hart Defending people, yes, you know, minor kind of of, of legalistic evil, sure, sure, mm-hmm. but knowing that all the real evil was contained in the supernatural realm. Mm-hmm. But here sure. he sees a counterexample of that. Here he sees Vanessa, someone who is enormously powerful mm-hmm. and enormously dangerous. I, I like that there's complexity there. Basically, what I'm saying is there's enough material in the script for me to be convinced by the the, the motion of the plot, mm-hmm. you could have made a more succinct and compelling case, but it is there if you choose to look for it, or at least mm-hmm. it is there when I choose to look for it. Yeah. And you're just more freely convinced by the central arc itself. Yeah. No, I like it. I like that Lindsay isn't, it doesn't take much to bring him back over, that he's not, he's not a changed man. He's just, a man who made a decision on one day that on any other day he might not make. And how do we feel about Angel coming out of this episode? Because he has his existential crisis there in the first act, and that seems to be resolved pretty quickly. Yeah, because it's not compelling, and it's not consistent with his character. I like that they try to sort of balance that against Lindsay, um, but Angel already knows his place. He already knows his role. He already knows what it is he's supposed to be doing. And that's not the story we're really here to tell. So while I appreciate what they're trying to do, I think we're better off without that. I think that contrasting Angel's certainty of his place with Lindsay's uncertainty is probably a more interesting place to go here. It's it's a place you could go, Mm -hmm. certainly. I think that you can... There's so much, and partly this is just because it is so fast and and frantic. You can restructure this episode in about four different ways. Mm -hmm. You can make this the Vanessa story, where we can really talk about the human face of evil in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. in in the angel side of the Buffyverse. You can make this about contrasting Angel and Lindsay's crises of faith, if Mm -hmm. you like, which I think is the intent, but the execution falters somewhat there. Mm -hmm. You can sideline Angel even more and just make this the Lindsay story, where Angel is, as he was last week, just a functional part of the plot, Mm -hmm. and we're only dealing with Lindsay's emotional crisis. Or you can shake that all out and make it about the kids, make it about the prophecy, make it about the fact that they are seers, Mm -hmm. and have Lindsay, I guess, uh, opposed to Wolfram and Hart for immediate political reasons Mm -hmm. that he needs to preserve his own standing with the firm and that's why he sides with angel you can do you know four or five really interesting things with the story the story kind of gestures at all of them yeah but i think it clears the bar ultimately i really like it i really like it both as an episode and as an indication of where we're going with angel Mm -hmm. yeah no it's a good episode (laughs) let's put it on the list of every episode ever let's see where it falls why don't you open the bidding this week? Okay, I will. Um, I I like a lot of this episode. I feel like the stuff, again, with Vanessa, that she is a little too interesting, a little too distracting for the role that she's supposed to have, sure. which is basically the sideline role. I think that Angel's, you know, existential crisis is, is an interesting idea that in essence fails because it's not consistent with everything that Angel has gone through and, and how 
Angel understands so completely his role in yeah. what's going on. Um, I like the Lindsay stuff, Holland Manners, blah, 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 whatever. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit much, but I mean, I really like a lot of the stuff that's happening here. And I also like um, where we're going with this, this idea of Wolferman Hart and the role that it plays with, with the human face of evil. Sure. Um, so I like that a lot too. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Overall, I think that this episode, um, succeeds more than it fails um you know definitely and i think that it's it's really well written it's really interesting i like the stuff with Lindsay. i'm more interested at this point when in my original watch i wasn't that interested in Lindsay. i didn't particularly care for him now i'm much more interested in him because he does have that kind of gritty space in the middle Mm. that he can he can you know straddle yeah that's an advantage i think of of paying such close attention Mm -hmm to these episodes and really focusing on these characters. I think that Lindsay definitely benefits from that focus, that attention. From a closer look. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I'd put it, I think, right above Warzone. So Warzone is at number five. Yes. Um, So I would shift Warzone down to number six and put Blind Date in at number five. Okay, so so between In the Dark and Uh and Warzone. I do think that Warzone is the immediate and obvious point of comparison because Mm -hmm. there are so many so many similarities between these two episodes, not just their place in the season, not just their perspective on Angel, the fact that Angel is sidelined for new or almost new characters, you know, mm-hmm. the, the fact that the episode rests on a certain contrivance, a certain coincidence. These two do form bookends, mm-hmm. if you like. So looking at it next to Warzone, I definitely prefer Blind Date, though I do kind of hate the title. I do kind of hate the title a great deal. I feel like everyone involved worked really hard on the script and it got to like five to five on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) And they were like, we didn't title it. Are you kidding me? Okay. Uh, Well, we can't use Lindsay's big day out. (laughs) What's literally the next thing we can think of? Yes. Mm -hmm. And they went with blind day, which Mm -hmm. is unfortunate. I would put it higher than that. Okay. Where would you put it? And this perhaps is a little heretical. Um, after above Warzone, we currently have In the Dark, mm-hmm. an episode that we loved a great deal. Really yeah. the first indication of what Angel could be as a show. Above that, we have Parting Gifts, which is, you know, Cordelia getting her powers. Coming Wesley to showing up. Wesley showing yeah. up. Again, another episode that speaks to what Angel will become. Mm-hmm. I think that if we're thinking in terms of what Angel will become, I would put Blind Date in at third on the list, above In the Dark and Parting Gifts, right under I Will Remember You. Wow. You know... I could go that far. I could go that, that far. Sounds like I a could, thing you I could, could agree stretch to. that far. Absolutely. I think that the things that are good in Blind Date are really exceptionally good. And the things that aren't so great in Blind Date are not that terrible. They're really not. It's mm-hmm. it's messy more than bad. Yes, I think there's absolutely. very little in the episode mm-hmm. that's just flat out. Flat I don't out think bad. there's anything that's really flat out no. bad. And then you have the heist that mm-hmm. anchors the middle of the episode. And Which is, is so fun. So great. Oh, I love that. Yeah. For for Gunn's Eddie Murphy monologue alone, mm-hmm. I would put this but very the near the top of the list. of the heist, all these people working together, this clockwork thing. I mean, it's really fun. Then let's put it in there. All right, third sure. on the list. So currently our top three, five by five in Sanctuary, right there at the number one spot. I will remember you right underneath. That's going to be pretty close to the top, I think, by the time we're done with all of Angel. I think so. And then Blind Date going in at number three on the list. And that is it for this week. That is it for our week of Angel. Next week, 
Well, next week we have a lot to discuss. Sure we do. Next Monday, we're looking at a little episode called Restless, <laughs> which I know we're already receiving emails about. I know. <laughs> People are so terrified of yes. our final verdict on Restless. You guys, I just watched Restless again. It's pretty good. We're going to have some stuff to talk about next week, but don't worry. It is not going down at the bottom of the list, I promise. Then on Thursday, we're going to talk about Tishanshu in LA, the season finale of Angel. Yeah. Lots to say. And I would like to remind you all right now, I know that you too have things to say. And if you didn't at the start of the episode, you certainly do now. Get in touch with us and let us know what you think about these episodes, what you think of Buffy Season 4 and Angel Season 1. Probably, I think I'm on pretty comfortable ground to say these are no one's favorite seasons. Yeah. I think that's probably a pretty fair assertion. Get in touch and let us know what you thought of these seasons. You can email us, podcast at storywonk.com. You can come join the ongoing and rich conversation over on the Storywonk forum, forum forum.storywonk.com. Or you can call our voicemail line, 252-505-WONK. That is 252-505-9665. And we will include the voicemails that we get in our season wrap-up shows, not next week, but the following week. Still lots to discuss here in Season 4 and Season 1, respectively. We'll be back on Monday with our thoughts on Restless. Until then, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted. <laughs>